seated. If you have a Bible, you can open to John's Gospel. We will look at verses 22 through 35. Uh, it's printed uh, through verse 40 in the bulletin, but we're not going to go quite that far this week. So, <clears throat> John 6, uh, John 6, 22 to 35. Um, food. Maybe you're hungry. Maybe, like some of us, you're planning, scheming what lunch will be like even now. Take the next 20 minutes to just dream about lunch. Uh, Food tastes good. Food tastes good. It's enjoyable to eat. When you eat food, it satisfies something, doesn't it? It satisfies hunger. It alleviates a pang. It fills you. Good food also keeps you alive. Alternatively, bad bad food threatens your life. People are looking for the ultimate food, uh, the most delicious food that makes you feel great when you eat it and keeps you alive forever. It's probably something like sushi. That's what we've discovered. Tastes great, less filling. Um, We get really excited about superfoods, right? Those are current trends. Find the right food that keeps you magnificently healthy, some combination probably of salmon, flaxseed, acai, and, uh, and turmeric, and you uh, ferment that, and you'll probably live forever, <laughs> right? Um, uh, studies alternatively show that these other foods are linked to these causes of death, so presumably, the commercials seem to assume anyway, if you stop eating them, and pretty much everything else, then you will live forever, right? Um, If only you could find the food that leads to eternal life. Isn't that kind of what we want from our food? If only you could find the food that leads to eternal life. In one sense, it's actually quite a biblical idea. Uh, You've got Genesis 1, the giving of the unique food to Humanity on day six, the food that had been created on day three, which is actually representative, symbolic, scripturally, of uh, the resurrection. Uh, Food that will, if you eat it, help you live forever. Genesis 2, Genesis 3, the the tree of life, right? In Revelation 22, you get to eat that fruit, the fruit from the tree of life, which we haven't been able to eat. We live forever. These are all at least symbolic Images, whether there's an actual apple that will keep you alive forever or not, these are symbolic images for us, at least, of the, um, the food that endures to eternal life, which is what Jesus is talking about in our passage this morning. That's a quote from verse 27. So there is such a thing as the food that leads to, to eternal life. I'm going to assume that you're generally interested in that idea. So that's what we'll talk about this morning. We'll ask a, a couple questions. What is this food? The food that leads to eternal life? What is it? How does it work? And how can we get it? What is it? How does it work? And how can we get it? That's what we'll talk about this morning. Let me pray, then we'll read the scripture. <clears throat> Father, we are at your mercy, and we thank you that you are merciful. We thank you that um, you've initiated a relationship with us through your mercy, through mercifully sending your Son and speaking your word to reveal yourself to us. So we pray that as we have the word um, spoken, read, and preached this morning, that you would be present in all of your mercy and help us to consider your word well, to see you in it, 
and to enjoy a relationship with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they got themselves into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who is sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise be to you, O Christ. So a lot of talk about bread. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we saw the miraculous sign of Jesus feeding the multitudes, the crowd, um, uh, with the, the multiplication of the loaves and the fishes, right? The bread, uh, the miracle of the bread. And now, um, now through the rest of chapter 6, it, it's, uh, it's like Jesus is giving a sermon. It's sort of an interactive sermon. There's questions and answers. There's, it's, the, it's typically called the bread of life discourse. And at the end of the chapter, you see that this took place in a synagogue. So it's kind of like being in church and having a sermon and a sermon discussion. And the whole thing's about bread. The whole thing's, so what is this bread? What is this food that Jesus is talking about? First of all, let's be clear. We're not talking about the kind of food that you bite, chew, swallow, digest, and eliminate. That's not, that's not the kind of bread, the kind of food that we're talking about. Earlier in John's gospel, we saw the Samaritan woman in chapter four make the same kind of mistake that these people are making when Jesus was talking about living water. She asked for a constant supply of actual physical earthly water that she could drink so she wouldn't have to go to the well anymore. That's not the kind of water Jesus was talking about. Now, now this crowd that Jesus had fed the day before was looking for him to provide their next meal. I mean, it was fantastic. He provided probably for 15,000, 20,000 people, right? It was the, the feeding of the 5,000, but it was only men that were counted, 5,000 men. So women and children um, would have been a, a huge, vast sea of people that were fed just from a few loaves and fishes. And uh, Jesus was able to do that. And why wouldn't they then track him down the next day when they got hungry, right? Um, 
When they caught up with Jesus, though, he exposed their hearts. He said, you know what you're really looking for? You're not looking for me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me, but not because you saw signs, not because you, you looked at what I did and perceived the spiritual significance of what I did, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. I fed you miraculously, Jesus says, which was a sign. It was meant to communicate something. It was meant to point to something beyond just the food going into your mouth. Right? I did that, but you're not interested in that. You're just getting hungry again. That's why you're here. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. So you need to shift your attention right now, Jesus says. Shift your attention away from the earthly food. Stop thinking about what you're going to have for lunch, right? How you're going to get it. Shift your attention to the heavenly food that I was sent by the Father to give you. Heavenly food. Earthly food can be delightful. It can be comforting. We can turn to it for satisfaction. And and it is life-giving, right? But only... Only on a temporary basis. Only on a finite basis. That's how it works. It perishes, Jesus says in verse 27. It perishes. And that's true of all earthly food. Even on just a a strictly biological level, the food is dead when you eat it. It's always dead when you eat it. Alexander Schmemann has a little book called For the Life of the World, which is uh, sort of an exploration of some of the main themes in this chapter. Uh, In chapter 6, he says, Food itself is dead. It is life that has died. And it must be kept in refrigerators like a corpse. (laughs) You lose your appetite yet. (laughs) Um, That's true. The significance of it is more important. Even if you gorge yourself on earthly food, you'll be hungry again the next day. It can't fulfill your ultimate needs. Um. Carol Wojtyla, which I think, uh, you know, his name is so hard to pronounce that they changed it to John Paul II. Even if, he says this in a quote there that's in the beginning of the bulletin, even if all the physical hunger of the world were satisfied, even if everyone who is hungry were fed by his or her own labor or by the generosity of others, the deepest hunger of man would still exist. The deepest hunger would still exist. We need living food, and we need lasting food. The food that we need must be alive, and it's got to endure. It's got to fill us forever. It's got to be food of the truest sort. Only this will be infinitely delightful and comforting and satisfying and life-giving. And Some people turn to earthly food to try to get that actual literal food, comfort food, um, for, for ultimate fullness and eternal life, some people turn to a whole lot of things that aren't just just the food that you take and you put in your mouth and you swallow it. it we turn to all kinds of things in life for this ultimate satisfaction, for fullness, for life. But there's only one true food that fills every need and brings eternal life. And we're, ta- we're speaking spiritually, right? We're talking about Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me, shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So he, answer to the first question, what is this bread? He's the bread. He's the bread from heaven. He's the bread of God. He says in uh, verse 51, which we'll look at next week, I'm the living bread. 
that came down from heaven. And if anyone eats this bread, he'll live forever. So better than sushi, better than turmeric, better than all the fermented foods you could put in your body that keep you healthy, that the doctors will say will extend your life. Anyone who eats this food will live forever. He himself is the true food that fills every need and endures to eternal life. How does that work? Because he's not on the table to be carved up. Right? I mean, we're, how does this food work? What does it mean that he's the bread of life? How does, how does this bread fill every need and endure to eternal life? How is Jesus Christ the bread? Our, our greatest need... Whether you're conscious of it or not, maybe that seems a little bit presumptuous for me to tell you whether you know it or not, this is your greatest need. This is what the scriptures say. This is what God says is our greatest need, whether we know it or not. It's for eternal life. It's for eternal life. And Jesus defines that. It has a definition. Jesus defines eternal life in, later in John's gospel in chapter 17. He defines eternal life as knowing the only true God and knowing Jesus Christ as sent by God the Father. Knowing the only true God and knowing Jesus Christ as God has sent him, as the Father has sent him. So eternal life, we just, it's super easy for us to think of it in terms of length of time, duration, right? Eternal life is not so much a temporal concept as much as it is a relational one according to Jesus. It's a relational concept. Eternal life certainly is something that lasts forever, has infinite duration. It will last forever, but it lasts forever because of what it really is. It's life with God. That's why it lasts forever, because he's the living God, and it means life with him. It means restored life with God, reconciled life with God, the living God, the triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this is something that Christians have now. That's the way John talks about it. It's not just something to look forward to. It's not always just out there in the future, in the infinite future. It's something characterized, it's something now characterized by love and joy and peace with God. And if that's truly our greatest need, if life with God is what eternal life really is, then it makes sense that Jesus is the food that endures to eternal life that he's this living bread that we need for that kind of life. Jesus is, he's before all things, he's God the Son. Because um, in the divine life of the Holy Trinity, in the divine life of the one true and everlasting God, the Father and the Son have dwelt in blessed communion in the Holy Spirit. And that's been true of all eternity, forever. In every temporal directional sense of that word forever into the past, forever into the future um, and beyond that eternally speaking eternally speaking, the life of God has always meant life with God the life of God has always meant life with God because he is this God, the son with the father that's what life with God is and then <clears throat> at just the right time God stepped out of eternity. God the Son came into the world in history. He came in the flesh. He came as a human being to do what humanity was meant to do, but which we cast away in a fit of rebellion. He lived with God. 
Simple as that. In Jesus Christ, God came to do life with God as a human being. So Jesus' relationship with the Father as a human being, as the incarnate Son of God, as a human being, that's the eternal life that we were made for. His life with God as a human is the life that we were made for, and that relationship, that eternal life with God, is what Jesus gives to us. That's what he shares with us. We talked about this a few weeks ago when we talked about the sign of the loaves, which uh, our passage references explicitly in verse 23. It's remembering it and says they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks, calling attention again to the Lord's thanksgiving. It's by the, the thanksgiving of Christ to God. It's by the perfect relationship of Jesus Christ to God the Father that we're filled and that we're saved from our broken relationship, that we're brought back into a real relationship, into real life, eternal life. His obedience counts for us. This is true of every aspect of his humanity in life with God. His obedience counts for us, for our disobedience, takes the place of our disobedience. His peace and his rest relationally with God as his Father becomes our peace and our rest with God as our Father. His own delighted joy in his Father, in the Holy Spirit, fills us, and it's our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Christ, he shares his own heavenly reception with us. He is welcome in heaven, and because he is, so also are we. He invites us into his own prayer. He's constantly praying. He's been praying his whole life, and he he constantly prays now. Even now, he prays and he invites us into his own prayer and his everlasting communion with God. His humility before God is ours. His pure motives with regard to God, they're ours. His courage to live for God in this world, even to the point of death, that's ours. We live all of our life with God, in him, in Christ, through him as our vicar, our vicar vicariously. His humanity counts for us vicariously. His relationship with God is what he gives to us vicariously through faith. Everything true about Jesus as a human being enjoying perfect relationship with God is true of us. As a gift of his grace by faith, that's the essence of Christianity. That's what Christianity is. If you find yourself stopped on a street and somebody gives you a pop quiz and asks you, quick, what's Christianity? That's what you tell them. Jesus Christ has a perfect relationship with God and he gives it to me freely. His own relationship is a gift. It's it's his grace to be our relationship, to be ours, to be appropriated by us, to be taken in for our eternal life. That's the living food that endures because Jesus Christ himself endures. He is not dead. He's not dead food. He's living. He lives forever in glorious exaltation on our behalf in heaven now, always giving thanks to the Father. And that's our life. That's, that's what it means that Jesus Christ himself is the bread of life. He's the bread of heaven as a gift from God for our life with God. So how can we get this food? He's the bread. This is how it works. How do we get it? How do we eat it? How do we consume? Maybe a bit more figurative language. How do we consume Jesus Christ 
for our life. Jesus will uh, go on to use some pretty strong language in verse 54 of the chapter. He says, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. It's pretty startling language. You should be aware of that. Uh, Maybe it's kind of worn off on you through constant exposure, but historically enemies of Christ have condemned this language, mistaking it for some sort of cult of cannibalism, right? Cannibalism. Jesus is advocating that we actually eat him and drink his blood. Jesus is speaking spiritually. He's speaking spiritually. We get this spiritual food by believing. Believing is like consuming. Believing is like consuming. It's like taking something in, just like with... um, with other earthly things that we can't actually eat, but we think will fill us, like binge-watching that new season on Netflix. It's going to fill you, right? Um, or I could, just, I could just eat you up, talking to your little kids, right? You can't actually do that. You're not going to actually do that. It's figurative language, but you get the idea where you just want to consume and bring this in so that it will fill you, right? And that's the beautiful thing with the gospel. I mean, in a sense, Jesus is saying, we don't even have to ask. It's already been given. We just need to receive it and believe it and take it in. Gobble it up. Open ourselves to who Jesus is and what he's done because he loved us. You ask the question, why do we have this bread? Because God is who he is, and he set his seal on Jesus Christ, and he sent him for this very purpose so that you could consume him and live forever with God. They said to him uh, in verse 28, what must we do to be doing the works of God? They think if we're going to get this bread, just like with our regular bread, you got to work you got to pay, then you can take it, then you can eat it. Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe. Believe in him whom he has sent. You should be hungry. You should be hungry for Christ. Jesus himself says in Matthew chapter 5, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's good to be hungry for Christ and for righteousness and for life in the kingdom, life with God. It's good to be hungry. But he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Not just perpetually hungry. They should be satisfied. You should be hungry for Christ and for his good relationship to the Father. But at least as Jesus is talking about it here in our passage, hunger doesn't characterize the Christian life. Satisfaction characterizes the Christian life. Satisfaction in Christ, satisfaction with Christ, being full of this bread. So they say, give us this bread always. Wouldn't it be nice to never go hungry again? Speaking in earthly, humanly ways, of course they are. But uh, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. No more hunger. No more thirst. If you come to Jesus, you'll be satisfied. Yes, be desperate until that point. (laughs) Be hungry and thirsty for Jesus. Ask God to feed you the bread from heaven that leads to eternal life, but more so, believe that he already has. He's already come into the world for this very reason, 
So you can rest and you can delight and you can be filled. You can find satisfaction in the knowledge that God has given his son, Jesus Christ, for your living bread, for your life with God. Robert Capon says you don't have to work for the relationship because you've got it already. Just trust Jesus and open your eyes. So let me close with uh, this quote from Isaiah 55. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come and buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen. That's all you've got to do. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we do come to you through Jesus Christ. And we have a need that you would open our ears and open our eyes to see you and who you are, what you've done for us in the gospel. We pray that you would enable us to rest and be filled and delight and find satisfaction and find eternal life in Jesus, in consuming Jesus. We pray that uh, he would be our life, our spring of eternal water welling up inside of our hearts to overflowing, that we would find true peace and comfort and security and courage, boldness to live with you and for you in this world because of Jesus as you keep our eyes fixed on him as we consume him by faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.